0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill.
2: Hello, welcome to The Country Hour. I'm Cassie Hough. This wild and woolly day across South Australia and Broken Hill. Rain, hail, snow, wind, fires, South Australia has copped it all today on the 1st of November, believe it or not. Soon I'll take you to Hallett in the Mid-North where snow has fallen this morning. If you'd like to let me know about the weather you've received today though, I'd love to hear about it, get a bit of a snapshot of what's happening across the state. You can text me on zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one or Phone one three hundred triple two eight nine one I mean snow in Hallett's it 's probably the headline, but the wind has been phenomenal around where I am, and i 've heard about hail and uh, lots of rain in places as well, so let me know as I said text zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one or phone one three hundred triple two eight nine one also this rain's making cutting hay difficult and The drippy cool weather is also potentially playing into the hands of fruit fly in the Riverland. The
1: pupae in the soil, they're like a little cocoon in the soil, really hate to get hot and dry. And so in a season like this, there is a risk that some of those pupae that are already in the soil, if they're out there, will have a better survival rate.
2: So not good news there. I'll have more on the concerns of growers in the Riverland have about fruit fly survival this spring. But while we'll get into the, the wet weather, it's uh, remarkable that despite all this rain, shortly after 2am this morning, a truck driver reported a large fire on the Air Peninsula just east of Penong, in the far west. The uh, investigations found a large hay shed alight with around 200 bales of hay inside. CFS crews responded with support from local fire, farm fire units and the landowner, and despite it raining heavily at the time, they were unable to save the hay boughs. And crews have been working through the morning with the landowner to minimise the impact on the surrounding structures and let the hay burn out. But it could have cost about $60,000 that uh, damage there. So terrible news there and remarkable given just how wet it has been that that, uh, it can still be uh, fire weather as well which is something I want to look like because although look at because although it might not feel like uh, the dry warm weather is upon us when we're getting wind and hail and rain and snow It is, and the South Australian Country Fire Service warns that the extra grass and vegetation will act as fire fuel as the weather does eventually start to heat up. The fire danger season officially begins in some parts of the state today, with other areas to follow later in the month. CFS Chief Officer Brett Lachlan says complacency is going to be a challenge for areas that have seen heavy rain.
3: So the fire danger season commences today in a number of parts of South Australia, including the northeast pastorals, northwest pastorals, the Flinders, the eastern Eyre Peninsula and the west coast. And that really reflects that in those parts of the state, we, we see uh, fuels and the, the grasses and the, the scrubs starting to dry out. And we only really need then uh, hot and windy conditions and we'll have everything uh, that you need to have fire become a threat across the landscape. So it's really timely to have the, the fire danger season start today. And yesterday we saw the first total fire ban in the northeast pastorals And so, uh, you know, not only, not only is that potential for risk there, but it, it's there
4: right now. And uh, just because it's been raining a lot, that doesn't reduce the risk, right?
3: No, not at all. And in fact, because of the, the wet conditions across, you know, huge parts of South Australia, we actually see, you know, increases in fuel growth, you know. So there's more grass fuels out there. There's going to be more stubble because the crops are, are looking really good this season. And so um, that at risk, you know, isn't diminished by the fact that we, we have had uh, all this rain. And so, you know, people can't be complacent. It has been a gentler start to the fire season than normal in South Australia. I, I don't deny that. But if people are, are complacent, then they will be caught short when uh, when fires inevitably occur. And, and that risk is, is really, uh, really a challenge right now in those areas where the fire danger season has commenced today.
5: And how can people prepare?
3: The preparation piece is, is really important, and it's not as daunting as people might perceive. One of the first things we really ask people to do is to simply have a bushfire survival plan. They can go to the CFS website and, and get all the instructions they need to be able to do that. But sit down with your family and work out what you will do, where you'll go, what you'll take in the event a fire threatens your safety and that planning piece is so important. One in five people don't have a plan and those people then uh, are going to be at even greater risk of those negative outcomes uh, during a bushfire. The other thing people can do is put those fire breaks in around their property when we're talking about grass fires, having a, a fire break in along your boundary or between your paddocks is such an important thing you can do to slow down a fire, and to give the men and women of the the CFS and those uh, those people on farm fire units to give them an area where they can they can try to you know stop a fire's run. So those things are just really important, really simple things that people can do to get ready for the season.
2: CFS Chief Officer Brett Lachlan speaking with Christian Kuminos. Now, speaking of fire in line with the CFS's reminder to prepare for bushfire risks, the South Australian grain producers have created a new awareness campaign called Don't Be a Bright Spark to drive a similar message home. South Australian grain producer CEO Brad Perry speaks about the campaign.
4: It's been a, a, obviously a wet and a, a rainy period, um prolonged period now, so... What we're seeing is that there's a lot of a lot of vegetation buildups, so a lot of fuel load. Whether that's certainly around cropping areas, you know, I think councils are struggling to keep up with uh, the growth on roadside verges. Uh, there's a lot of growth um, around farms and and grain properties and in in pasture and other areas and scrubs. So, look, I think the risk this year for uh, fire is very high, just given the amount of fuel load um, that's around at the moment. Um, in cropping regions. So I think it's really important from um, Grain Producers SA that we uh, have launched an awareness campaign, really aimed at saying let's do the right thing, make sure that we're fully prepared um, this season so when we harvest and um, eventually uh, I assume it's going to be dry at some point and we'll be able to harvest, we say make sure that you follow your steps in fire um, prevention.
6: And the awareness campaign is called Don't Be a Bright Spark. Can you tell us a little bit more about it?
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a message that's really trying to put a strong awareness out there that, um, you know, make sure you do the right thing. Don't be silly this harvest. Don't be a bright spark. Don't be silly. Don't start that fire. So we want you to, you know, talk talk to your neighbours before harvesting on the weather conditions. Talk to the community. Talk to other grain producers. Keep that communication line open. You know, make sure that you checking your machinery before harvest, during and after, and really following the, the five key steps, uh, prepare, maintain, monitor, be safe and communicate. Um, and there's obviously a lot more detail than that. And, and some of the things and responsibilities are actually legislated for grain producers to do. So uh, I'd urge all uh, grain producers leading up to harvest to check out uh, the fact sheet that we've got on our website and really uh, be vigilant.
6: GPSA is still calling for CFS to delay the rollout of the new grain harvest code of practice. Where are you at with that and have CFS indicated that the delay is a possibility or not at all?
4: So grain producers, say, is still. we are still holding our position that we really should delay the rollout of, of the new Uh, Fire behaviour index, uh, grain harvest operation number of forty to cease harvesting. Um, It was previously thirty-five under the grass fire uh, grassland fire danger index. What we're saying is uh, this whole this whole rollout's just been too rushed, too close to harvest. We need time to educate our grain producers on um, on the new number, how it works, how we can measure it, make sure everyone's up to speed. You know, it takes time. It took a long time to get um, our grain producers up to speed and and really encode with the fire danger index number of assist harvest number of 35 and we think that's very well um adhered to so what we're saying is there's not enough time let's use the fdi this harvest and we can reassess the rollout of the fbi following this harvest uh, and do it properly i think we've seen continued confusion around this as well particularly there's, a, there's an app that now the CFS are using called Aura, and that again, that app needs time for, for grain producers to, to understand um, the ins and outs of that. It's been trialled in, in WA, as I understand it, um, and we, we just need extra time. That's the, that's the challenge here. GPSA has recently written to the Minister for Emergency Services uh, just from really saying we haven't had any satisfaction in our request to delay the rollout. Can you please look into this? Um, And I haven't had a response as yet.
2: South Australian Grain Producers CEO Brad Perry speaking with Demetria Panagiotaris. And uh, we'll have more on the weather later in the program as we approach a quarter past 12.
7: Know your emergency plan this summer. A third consecutive London yes. And rely on ABC to be with you. What can I do? Broadcasting up to the minute critical information. We have issued an emergency warning. Online at ABC Emergency and on your local ABC Radio. ABC Radio, reliable source for information. Stay safe, stay connected. I don't know what I'd do without the ABC. Download the ABC Listen app and stay connected with your local ABC radio station.
1: You're listening to Cassie Hough on ABC Radio South Australia
8: and Broken Hill.
2: You're listening to The Country Hour. I'm Cassie Hough. More on this wild weather. I'm asking you to send in your texts about uh, what's happening with weather at your place because out the window where I am, it's blowing a gale and uh, is uh, very grey and miserable looking. We've got hail in Lonsdale, according to Ian. Uh, So if you've got some weather... Happening there as well. Oh, also uh, it's hailing um, at Highland Valley as well. Oh, mate, that was a little earlier on, though. So yeah, do text keep those texts coming on weather. We'll have weather up shortly. The number to text in on is zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one, or phone one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We're talking a bit about weather today, and uh, one thing that you might not expect is that these cooler and wetter conditions may be creating an ideal environment for fruit fly to survive and thrive. That's at least according to Nick Seckham, who is the general manager of the Fruit Fly Emergency Response Program for the state primary industry department. He spoke with Eliza Berlage about some of the current challenges in eradicating the pest.
1: We always look at climate and predictions whenever we make our plans and Things hardly ever go to plan when it comes to climate, but we do have to look at what's most likely to happen. And we do know that in the Riverland, those hot, dry summer, spring days really do work against fruit fly. The the pupae in the soil, they're like a little cocoon in the soil, really hate to get hot and dry. And so in a season like this, there is a risk that some of those pupae that are already in the soil, uh, if they're out there, will have a better survival rate. So we, we do need to make sure that we're vigilant, particularly over the next month, because we haven't had one of those really hot springs that we sometimes get, which would work against those pupas. So, yeah, it's something we're really aware of when I mean, we're applying all the controls we can anyway, but we just need to make sure that we are super aware of the fact that, that, that the pupae, in particular really like those humid conditions.
2: And those flies that are being found, are you aware are they a male or female flies?
1: They're almost always male flies, Eliza, because the traps we use have a really specific pheromone and attractant in there that attracts the male flies in. We do have some um, other traps out there which occasionally trap the female flies, but the vast majority of what we, what we find are the male flies.
0: And the ones that have been found in the last few months, um, yeah, where are they being found? Are they being found in commercial orchards, in backyards, um, a mixture?
1: It's a bit of a mixture. So the... Majority of flies are found outside of the main town centres. We do have some detections in, in residential areas, mostly you know, around the Renmark area. But largely, it's, it's outside of those areas, not in the middle of commercial orchards. Most of our traps are accessible anyway, so they wouldn't be in the middle of a big orchard. But the trend continues where we, we tend to find them in those areas where we've got almost hobby blocks, five or ten acre blocks, and commercial orchards surrounding them. That, that seems to be where most of those detections are turning up.
2: Some people that might have hobby blocks, yeah, they might be a bit older, they might not be able to tend to them. And, and one of the issues, of course, has been that they can't, you know, share the fruit at the office like they might have or, or give it to friends and family. What sort of solutions could there be for people that have those hobby blocks and, and are just continuing to have issues with fruit there? It's
1: a really good point and it's an absolute focus for us. We know that um, it's a real um, target group that we have to work closely with those growers and also residential people who are sort of on the, on the cusp of commercial production. So we've got a, a couple of community engagement offices as well as one that's focused on um, commercial mm-hmm. growers and their focus is to try and first of all engage with those, those smaller blocks and make sure they understand the risk let them know what they can do to make sure that they can manage the risk themselves. And there's a whole lot of um, lures and things that can be applied. And we've put thousands of those out on blocks like this. Our teams focus on these blocks as well. We make sure we look really hard and do our checks for larvae on these blocks because we know that they need to be a focus, but also talking with those people about what they can do with their fruit. That's a really good point. You know, what they can do to process it and preserve it so it can, can still be used. So, it really is a focus for our team and something we're going to have to continue on with, I think.
2: There's a Fruit Fly Emergency Response Program General Manager, Nick Seckham, speaking with Eliza Berlage. Before we get to, to weather, we'll uh, head to the far west of New South Wales where all this rain being seen has a, a veterinarian warning livestock producers to keep an eye out for uh, on their stock for worms. Flying vet Amelia Scott says she's finding an increase in worms in livestock in the far west of New South Wales. She's been travelling right across the region treating animals and says barbers pole and scour worms have become common for the graziers.
0: Right now, it's all around being exposed to to the wet conditions that we're having at the moment. So the main issue in livestock at the moment is lameness and fly strike because of prolonged periods of their skin being damp so feet are a huge issue especially in sheep that have been standing on on above average wet ground or in flood waters so lameness is a huge issue at the moment
9: can you tell me a bit more about lameness and what the issue with worms and parasites at the moment
0: so at the moment, with lameness, because their feet are becoming quite soft from being in that moisture, basically their skin, skin's beginning to rot and getting secondary infections, Well, they can try and prevent it by trying to keep their sheep out of the floodwaters, moving them from those low-lying paddocks into, into high ground.
9: And so with the issues of worms, can you tell me what worms are that people should look out for at the moment?
0: So the worm issue has really been building up in the far west. There's been an increased movement of of sheep from areas where worm burdens are quite severe. So from the coast, Western Australia, in the in the Western Division, you know the general we're quite naive about worms because we're quite an arid, traditionally a really arid environment that worms don't like. But at the moment. We, we have the perfect environment for worms. So we're seeing quite a lot of barbers pole as well as the usual scour round worms. And it's important when you suspect that you have a worm issue, when you're seeing scouring and your flock isn't looking quite up to scratch, they're looking a little bit poorer than you'd expect them to look on good feed, it's important not to just blind drench your sheep with whatever drench you feel like pulling off the shelf because... There are so many different varieties of worms and so many different drenches and it's very important to know exactly what your sheep have before you go treating them. It's quite an expensive, time-consuming, labour-consuming job to to get those sheep in and drench them so you want to make sure you're doing it right from the start and not actually making your worm problems worse by drenching them with something that's not going to work or make those worms resistant.
9: Why do you think that? Awareness is important in regards to drenching and not drenching when it comes to livestock and worms.
0: The importance of not just blind drenching everything is they may not even have a worm issue. (laughs) So you've just wasted a week or two of of your time, labour, money, and efforts in, in mustering your sheep and drenching them when. They actually didn't even need drenching to begin with.
9: What have you found from graziers at the moment when it comes to worms in livestock at the moment?
0: So at the moment, it's a street-wide problem. Don't think just because you're on high ground that doesn't really flood that you're safe from worms because I'm seeing quite a lot of worms there's a generalised worm problem in the in the far west New South Wales at the moment.
9: And how common do you think worms are in livestock in far west New South Wales at the moment?
0: Oh, very common. As soon as someone says, Oh, they're not doing as well as what we think they suspect that it could be worms or it could be the green feed. There's so many things that cause scouring. Um and yeah, once we once I collect a sample and have a look at it it's fairly obvious that, you know, there's a worm problem. Some some luckily most are not always all barber's pole, which which is the one we've got to watch out for because it does have a very high rate of resistance to most of the worm drench group.
9: Yeah, I guess, you know, there's there's always the good and bad that come with this wet weather, even though it's, it's obviously been a cause for celebration for many graziers.
0: Yeah, like it's going to be a fabulous season. Yeah, a lot of people are are, are going to see issues that they haven't seen for a long time or might not have even seen in their lifetimes, just because this is, well, I'm in my mid-30s and this is the best season I've ever seen in my lifetime. So I wouldn't be surprised if many people come across things they haven't seen before.
9: How do you feel about that?
0: I think it's good. It's an opportunity for, for education. In a good season, the money's there to be able to respond to diseases and, and justify the cost in, in treating things properly and, and and looking after your livestock. We've just got to keep an open mind and yeah, don't think that just because <laughs> you're out in the far west, you're not going to have issues with worms
2: flying vet Amelia Scott speaking with Yusuf Saudi there about the uh, issues they're seeing in the far west of the state. But uh, I guess that's all anyone's talking about today is just how crazy this weather has been. I'm sure it's keeping the Weather Bureau staff on their toes as well. Senior forecaster Simon Timke joins me. Good
10: afternoon. G'day, Cassie.
2: So how are things looking across the state? I've got a text in here from Pat from Nolunga who's had hail. Her whole back lawn is white and the hailstone's some as big as a 10-cent piece. So uh, crazy weather su- there.
10: Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. We were just watching uh, that uh, that cell move over the Nolunga area and uh, and it looked to have plenty of hail in it. So... Not surprised there, and and that sort of cell is moving moving northwards now towards the uh, the well uh, sort of following the, the the foothills there but there's certainly been numerous reports of small hail around the uh, parts of the agricultural area today in this very cold air mass uh, uh, that 's pushing up over from from the south, um, pretty widespread showers. Very gusty winds as well for, from the south to southwest, and uh, and and plenty of showers and, and the odd isolated thunderstorm around too. We have had have had a, a, a few strikes, seen a couple of strikes up around sort of Cow, Port Pirie, and a couple of storms just moving across uh, uh, the Mount Lofty Ranges and Murraylands at the moment, and up over the the Riverlands. So they're pretty isolated, but there are, are still the odd uh, uh, thunderstorm around, and those those storms will obviously produce. Uh, briefly heavy rainfall, maybe a little bit of gustier wind uh, and, and some, some hail as well probably. So a real uh, real burst of winter today uh, and, and earlier in the day we did have, uh, uh, here's some reports of uh, uh, some snow flurries up around Mount Bryan as well so that's uh, uh, an indication of how, how cold it really is. It has been pretty wet too, the rainfall totals uh, in the 24 hours to 9am this morning very wet again through parts of the the mid-north and the far southern parts of the Flinders district there Uh, and there has been uh, another flood warning issued for the mid-north for that reason. Um, The the light and the Wakefield rivers in particular uh, are on the rise again um, due to that rainfall. We do still have a severe weather warning out for the Flinders district northeast pastoral and parts of the mid north riverland and northwest pastoral districts for those those uh, strong and gusty southwesterly winds pushing up over those parts uh, and will be pretty windy over remaining parts of the state as well we do have a uh, uh, strong wind warnings out for pretty much all coastal waters the sheep grazier's warning out for all districts uh, and because of this, this is a funny one, but because of the really windy conditions, there is a fire weather warning out for the northeast pastoral as well with the conditions as windy as this. Even though it's uh, cool, still can lead to um, some some tricky fire behaviour. Uh, today, I think, will be the the wettest, coldest, windiest uh, day for the next week. Uh, and, and through the, the middle and later part of this week, we will see the showers gradually ease and contract southwards. Just a little little bit of a hiccup in there with a, a, a little trough moving across the south um, overnight Wednesday into Thursday morning, which will keep the showers going a little bit. But by Friday, I think the showers will be pretty isolated uh, and light and confined to just the southern uh, coastal districts by Friday. And then over the weekend, getting warmer and looks to be pretty much dry the whole weekend. Maybe just a slight chance of a light shower about the south of the lower southeast but other than that i think it should be dry and start to see the the temperatures rise up reasonably quickly over the weekend i think we'll see conditions get hot over the north and west of the state over the weekend and early next week and those higher temperatures gradually pushing over remaining parts of the state through um monday and tuesday next week so uh, i i think this sort of wetter and colder weather will continue for today and then gradually ease over the next couple of days and um and we'll see drier conditions over the weekend. So. Um a, a, a bit of a break in the weather after today. So as far as rainfall totals go, as I said, plenty of showers around today, so I still see some, some um, useful rainfall totals uh, today. Uh, but over the, the following few days, Wednesday through to Saturday, I think we'll see a significant drop-off in, in any totals. I think most places over the agricultural area will see less than five millimetres in that Wednesday to, to Saturday period. Maybe just a little bit higher about parts uh, higher ground, like the Mount Lofty Ranges, um, but uh, generally speaking, significantly less after today, Cassie.
2: Thanks for that. Simon Timkey from the Weather Bureau there. In the far west of New South Wales, it's going to be partly cloudy overnight, getting down to about 8, but up to about 17 to 20 degrees. You're
1: listening to the Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia, and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff. Cassie Huff.
2: Good afternoon. How are things looking at your place? What a day in South Australia! Rain, hail, wind, fire warning, and snow. In November, all happening in November. Soon I'll take you to Hallett where that snow has fallen. The rivers are also swelling across South Australia and in the far west of New South Wales where flood water is starting to creep up around Menindis and locals are wanting a bit more information on what's happening there.
11: In the past, there's been levels publicised where it could be, like usually three levels, that um, possibly it might get to this or that, and that hasn't happened like it's all sort of secret service business that they're not sort of letting the, what they know out of the bag or making the figures more public or their models more public, you know.
2: We'll have more on that and the uh, American Apples could be on supermarket shelves soon. It's been a long drawn out process and one that Apple producers are not terribly happy about, so I'll have more on that soon. But first to what's making news with Matt Coleman. Hi Matt.
8: Hello Cassie. In the news this afternoon, the Chief Magistrate has refused bail for an Adelaide man charged with submerging his two-year-old nephew in boiling water. The 40-year-old, who can't be named to protect the identity of his alleged victim, is charged with criminal neglect after his nephew presented to a medical centre with burns and bruising in March. (laughs) you <laughs> Three calves have been stolen from a South Australian dairy farm. The calves are only a day old when they were taken from a property which is located between Langhorne Creek and Wellington. Calf rearer Jess Chandler says they're very fragile at that age and need their mothers. And police in Victoria are investigating after a person broke into the Flemington Racecourse this morning and poured an unknown substance over a portion of the track. It's understood that a sludgy liquid was poured near the 1,500 metre mark forcing staff to repair the surface. The Melbourne Cup is going ahead as possible. Planned. More news at one o'clock.
2: Thanks for that, Matt. Now, we've been talking a lot about the weather. It's certainly quite dynamic across South Australia today. There are these severe weather warnings for many parts of the state, including the Flinders, the North East Pastoral, and parts of the Mid North Riverland, North West Pastoral, and Murraylands districts. So there's a lot happening, and there were warnings that that things could get a bit uh, crazy, but I don't know if anyone really expected snow to fall in South Australia in November, but that's exactly what Nick Brook from Hallett woke up to this morning. Good afternoon.
12: Good afternoon. How are you going?
2: I'm well, thanks. What did it look like at your place this morning?
12: Uh, a very big surprise this morning. Woke up around 6am and made a sort of cup of coffee and had a look outside and there it was, snowing pretty well, um, which was unbelievable for the 1st of November.
2: Absolutely unbelievable. Now, I was imagining sort of sleety, nothingy sort of weather, but I understand it was more than that.
12: Yeah, it certainly was. You could actually see the snowflakes very clearly. Uh, The only problem was because we had a fair bit of rain beforehand, the ground was pretty wet, so I didn't really give a chance to settle on the ground. Uh, But it lasted about half an hour, I suppose.
2: Have you ever seen snow in November before?
12: No, I haven't. I was speaking to my brother this morning as well, and he can't remember being in November. It's normally either July, September, sometimes October, but the 1st of November, very unusual.
2: And how long have you lived there for?
12: Um, Pretty well all my life, uh, which is over 50 years.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful that you're able to capture it on video. If you go to the ABC Rural Facebook page, you'll be able to see Nick's video of the snow that was falling at Hallett this morning. Was it just at Hallett or did it also snow around other areas like Mount
12: Bryant? It would have snowed on top of the actual Mount Brian. I live 10 k's east of Hallett, up in the hills. So if it's going to snow, I sort of always get it. But in Hallett itself, I don't think it would have.
2: Where I'm from, we got some snow in October one year and it was devastating for livestock. I think they lost more sheep in October than they ever did in, in snow in July or August when you, you more expect snow. Have there been concerns from an animal point of view?
12: There would be concerns, but a lot of people knew that this sort of weather was coming in so people, farmers look after their stock very well and normally give them good, good protection. Uh, we've got short sheep around home. Uh, But well protected they seem to be going very well.
2: That's good to hear because it's a bit unseasonable, this weather, as we've said. And otherwise, how's the region around Hallett looking?
12: Yeah, um, unbelievable. Um, Yeah, it's just fantastic season and very much like everywhere at the moment. Just wet, wet, wet and looking for a bit of sunshine really now for the farmers with hay, etc.
2: Yes, the hay certainly has suffered and uh, have us a little delayed in many parts of the state. I can imagine it's even probably a bit late in your area.
12: Yes, it certainly will be this year. That's the environment we are living.
2: yes. I know around home, if we ever get snow, the dogs are not terribly impressed by it. Do you have any dogs?
12: Yes, I've got a miniature dash hound. Um, normally, he's pretty excited to get out in the mornings, but this morning he took a fair bit of budging. Uh, he wasn't real keen about snow.
2: Not impressed?
12: Not impressed at all.
2: More impressed by the fire, I can imagine.
12: Correct, correct. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so all good.
2: Well, uh, I'll let you go, but thanks so much for for describing that that for us. Sounds like it was a bit of a magical warning for you.
12: Yes, it was. And now back to the heater for me, I think.
2: Back to the heater. Yes, it it is a heater sort of a day. Thanks so much for your time today, Nick. Bye-bye. Nick Brooke from Hallett. There he has the right idea. Heading back to the fire. I'm sure a lot of you have uh, tucked up inside today. Perhaps you might watch the Melbourne Cup this afternoon from the comfort of your own home. But people do have to be out and about though. So if you are seeing some crazy weather at your place, send me a text on zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one or phone one three hundred triple two eight nine one. I saw some uh, rivers that had to broken their banks around Laura this morning, and uh, there 's a lot of water uh, right across and the, the state and uh, hail as well seems to be uh, quite uh, uh, drastic in in some areas ten cent piece sized hailstones falling at No longer. Keep your text coming zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one or phone one three hundred triple two eight nine one to let me know how the weather's looking at your place and if you thought it was a bit wet in October. You'd be right because it's looking like it could be the third wettest October on record. The Weather Bureau is currently crunching the numbers. We'll find out details on that later in the week. But I wanted to see how things were looking from a temperature point of view because it has been very cool as well and a rainfall point of view, how South Australia has fared. And to help me out with some of these numbers, climatologist Jonathan Pollock joins me. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Cathy. So we're into November now and it's still raining, but it's rained a lot across South Australia this month. Just how much rain has this state received?
13: It certainly has been wet. The official summaries are published on Friday on the 4th of November, but currently South Australia is tracking in one of its top three wettest Octobers on record. So there's large areas of wettest on record in the east, including much of the Riverland, Mid-North and Flinders districts, and parts of the northeast pastoral district too.
2: That's amazing. It has been very wet, particularly in that eastern part of South Australia. Do you know just how high the totals could be in some of those towns?
13: Well, so there are large areas of wettest on record in the east, including much of the Riverland, Mid-North and Flinders districts, and parts of the northeast pastoral district. And a lot of that same area had more than 100 millimetres for the month. So there's many stations, some with over 100 years of record, that have had their wettest October, uh, including places like Hawker, Riverton, Karunda, Yanta and Woomera.
2: And, do you, and we'll know the, the full results on Friday, you say?
13: That's right. The official summaries are published on Friday.
2: And what about temperatures? Because a lot of people are talking about crops being weeks behind schedule because of the cool weather. Just how cool has it been?
13: That's right. With all that extra cloudiness and rainfall around, we've had below average maximum temperatures across most of the state during October. But the, the minimum temperatures, those are the, the nighttime temperatures, they've actually been much higher than average across the southeast.
2: It makes sense with, the, with all that cloud cover keeping, keeping things warm. So overall, the averages actually wouldn't probably be too far off if you've got warmer minimums but cooler maximums.
13: Well, overall, if we average both the maximums and the minimums, uh, a lot of the state is has fairly typical temperatures, tending to cooler than average um, in the interior and a slightly and above average for parts of the southeast.
2: And looking forward, we're into the last month of spring now and then summer, what do the next three months hold for people, particularly people who are looking to, to get a crop off in the next couple of months?
13: Well, it's likely this pattern of above average rainfall will continue for, at least into November for parts of eastern South Australia. The rest of the state has more of a neutral outlook where there's no strong push um, to above or below average rainfall. And that's the, sort of the pattern we see for November to January. So Adelaide has about a 62% chance of above median rainfall. When we start looking into the, the one-month outlooks for November and December, we start to see a bit of a declining trend in that rainfall influence.
2: This latest system that's affecting South Australia and bringing snow to parts of South Australia in November, which is remarkable, is a bit of an Antarctic sort of system. Is that unusual?
13: Well, spring is a bit of a transitional season, so it's not unusual to get still get an influence from the south. It's been a relatively cold November morning, especially across the states north, uh, and we've seen a dusting of snow um, around Mount Bryant.
2: If you go to the ABC Rural Facebook page, we've just put up a a video there of some snow falling at Hallett as well. So there is definitely snow falling in this state at this time of year, which is amazing. And uh, looking forward to these next couple of months, is the Indian Ocean Dipole still driving a lot of the weather in combination with the uh, La Nina?
6: As
13: you said, we've got this La Nina in the tropical Pacific and the negative Indian Ocean Dipole. And together, they've contributed to the wet conditions that we've had during the year. But the negative Indian Ocean Dipole is likely to weaken at the end of spring, um, and the La Niña in the, in the Pacific is likely to return to a neutral phase early next year. So as those two wet influences gradually recede, we're likely to return to more typical rainfall patterns. Also, for South Australia, while La Niña typically brings above average spring rainfall to, to the whole state, uh, during summer, the influence typically contracts to the northeast.
2: Okay, so uh, perhaps uh, this, this rainfall may not continue with such a uh, uh, vigour as it has through spring.
13: So it's likely um, early next year in 2023, once those two major drivers, their, their wet influence has, has retreated, we're likely to see a gradual return to more typical rainfall outlooks.
2: Yes, well, while uh, the weather, the, the rainfall has been very welcome, particularly, as you say, in the east of the state that often does uh, experience low rainfall times, it has been very welcome. But I think possibly it would be a bit of a hope that the tap would turn off just so this crop can be harvested with minimal fuss. But uh, I guess if we could control the weather, <laughs> things would be very different. So uh, thanks so much for that update.
12: Thanks, Kathy.
2: Senior climatologist Jonathan Pollock there with a bit of a look at uh, not just uh, what October held, uh, as he was saying, it's tracking to be in the top three wettest Octobers on record, but we'll get that confirmed later in the week. But also just so cool and uh, so much um yeah, an unseasonable weather, but it looks like it could continue for a little while as well, while these climate drivers are still affecting the weather patterns in South Australia as well. So they're not breaking down until early next year. But as you said, November shouldn't be quite as wet as October, which I'm sure a lot of farmers are hoping for. I've had some texts in on the weather. It's seven degrees at Allgate and Bridgewater now. Thanks for that, Steph. That is very cold. I'm not. I don't love cold weather, so uh, I have been relishing this. This cold weather that is very cold. It's also hailed at Modbury. You can keep your text coming zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one or phone one three hundred triple two. Eight nine one Speaking of weather, we've been following this for, for some time. It's been a, a rather slow-moving flood, but as the rain continues in the far west of New South Wales, it is causing prolonged flooding along the Barwon and Darling Rivers. The Bureau of Meteorology has now advised moderate flooding is expected to continue at Menindi until mid-January. Tomorrow, releases are expected to gradually increase to a target height of around 9.4 metres at the town gauge, so uh, it is still rising. It's following cold throughout the year that uh, increased water flow outflows from the Menindi system were needed. President of the Menindi Regional Tourism Association, Rob Gregory, spoke with Yusuf Saudi about the lack of information, though, that he feels that the public is getting from water authorities at this time.
11: We're experiencing a little bit higher than we have with the water levels. The gauge height is going to go
2: to
11: 9.4, which... It's sort of going to create a little bit of angst around town for some residents, but not too much grief at the moment.
9: And with previous calls surrounding water outflows in Menindee, how do you feel about water authorities at the moment?
11: Certainly there has been a lack of planning on the side of central Darling China and the SES of, of what's going to happen if we have to potentially go higher. Uh, no one sort of really knows if there's any plans in place or a lot of the residents that will be affected will have to do in regards to keep their properties out of the flood zone or so we'll move their material or belongings and that sort of stuff. So certainly, yeah, just been a of lack of information really coming through of, of what these predicted heights could be. There's... In the past, there's been levels publicised where it could be, like usually three levels that um, possibly it might get to this or that. And that hasn't happened. Like, it's all sort of secret service business that they're not sort of letting what they know out of the bag or making the figures more public or their models more public, you know.
9: What do you think you would like to see from water authorities at the moment as Menindee prepares to evacuate?
11: Oh, just more information, more predictions on possibly where the water's going to go to. You know, they're sort of saying that it's going to stick to 9.4 up until uh, possibly after Christmas and into uh, January. Uh, But, you know, there's been more rain events and that um, comes through and more water in the catchment. They must sort of have more foresight than what they've got. It certainly has been in the past. There's been more information out when the other flood levels were, um, where other floods were were happening. If we don't know what's coming, we can't predict how much we've got to release in um, over a certain time to prevent, you know, another change in those gauge heights. So, you know, they might have to open the uh, the main weir right up and let the flows just go straight through. Yeah, predictions of flows, made. I don't know. See, we don't know what's in the system. They're talking maybe 2,000 gigalitres, which is an equivalent volume to the whole lake system.
9: And how do you think this could impact tourism in the area?
11: Oh, a huge impact, really. We've just seen that in the last three weeks that our numbers have dropped off. But we're coming through to our season, uh, sort of the beginning of December, when people decide that it's too hot to travel into the far west, so they stay away till sort of March. So... Yeah, that might not change our tourism numbers too much, but um, certainly just lately that uh, numbers have subsided. But we have had a lot of closed roads in the area and a lot of rainfall locally, so and throughout the state, so it's stopped a lot of trouble
2: president of the Menindee Regional Tourism Association, Rob Gregory, speaking with Yusuf Saudi there. A couple of texts have come in on the weather. It seems like everyone's really feeling the chill at the moment. Uh, we were talking about 7 degrees at Aldgate and Bridgewater. Todd says that it's 4.7 degrees in Crafers but it feels like 1.3. Now, sometimes they call this time of year sprinter, although it's more around spring where you get that combination of spring and winter weather. We're definitely in Sprinter, I think at the moment, uh, we've also had a text in from Heather at Humbug Scrub saying, just had a decent blustery shower of hail and rain at Humbug Scrub. It's now five degrees in my car park. Goodness gracious. It's um It's been... Uh, really very cold. And uh, do, there's a question from Stephen from McGill. When does Australia start having warm fronts? I don't know if this is a warm front. Are you meaning uh, it would be time to get a warm front? Because I think the people in the Adelaide Hills would definitely like one by the sounds of those uh, temperatures there. We're, speaking about snow earlier in the program, if you go onto the ABC Rural Facebook page, you can actually see that snow as well. That's getting a bit of interest. Just go to the uh, ABC Rural page as we approach 12 minutes to 1.
7: Know your emergency plan this summer. A third consecutive London year. And rely on ABC to be with you. What can I do? Broadcasting up to the minute critical information. We
4: have issued an emergency
7: warning. Online at ABC Emergency and on your local ABC Radio. ABC Radio, reliable source for information. Stay safe, stay connected. I don't know what I'd do without the ABC. Download the ABC Listen app and stay connected with your local ABC radio station.
1: You're listening to Cassie Huff on ABC Radio South
2: Australia and
7: Broken Hill.
2: American apples could soon be on supermarket shelves and there are fears it could see farmers forced out of the industry. The Federal Agriculture Department has approved the import of fresh apples from three regions in the United States, subject to strict biosecurity procedures. Tony Briscoe spoke to long-time South Australian apple grower John Evans.
14: Well, I've had 40 years in this this industry and I've been lucky enough to represent the industry at a lot of levels and I know that from the past that because Australia is a member of the WTO, that legally we cannot refuse any country that's a member of that WTO access into Australia. So, you know, the the sharp end of the sword is uh, fire blight. Uh, For fire blight, there is no cure. We... As an industry, would have to uh, spray with uh, antibiotics, which we do not want to do. Uh, they're not registered uh, for spraying in Australia anyway on pla- on plants. We can sort of control it with mangazeb and copper, but that destroys the fruit finish on the f- on the fruit, so it renders the fruit unsalable anyway, and imposes a lot of insects and things that normally wouldn't happen because it kills out beneficials. I've actually had, had the USDA on my farm. Uh, and they were. They told me they were assessing what would happen if they were here. And they said the consumer will like to have fresh fruit in both uh, winter and 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 spring and summer uh, from the northern hemisphere as well as the south.
8: Do you think the biosecurity standards that they put on the import of these apples, and they're they're coming from uh, three different areas: Washington, Oregon, and Idaho? Do you think the biosecurity um, put on will be enough.
14: If the minimum standard for quarantine is that imposed against New Zealand and everywhere else, uh, remembering that China was the first country ever to be allowed to bring product, uh, apple and pear products into Australia, uh, this is in the fresh fruit market, quarantine has been very hard to achieve by the New Zealanders, so that's restricted the amount that they can bring in, uh, but... Yes, that would be the case. Uh, Unless government's been lobbied to water down those bars to to get over as far as quarantine, uh, which is set by New Zealand, it should be okay. But it will be devastating in the marketplace for uh, an Australian grower uh, because uh, at the moment we all haven't been paid for two years due to COVID. And with this happening too, that'll be interesting. Because I know that the USDA said to me whilst I was here, I said to them, will they be coming in under the US Export Enhancements Scheme? And they said, yes. Well, that is a 65% subsidy. So even if you're thinking that we've got a low dollar and they've got a high dollar and they're not going to make any money, well, they can afford to sell at 41 cents in the dollar and get paid the rest when they get home.
8: What do you think it'll do to the Apple industry here in Tasmania?
14: Well, in Tasmania, we're We're probably in a more fortunate position because we're able to export to protocol countries, of which most of us, if not all of us, have registered in this coming year, as a secondary place to sell our our product. But that means that we can't. We would be probably unable to sell in Australia because the supermarkets will buy at the cheapest price, and that'll be at a subsidised price out of the US, which is a lot less than the price of production. And that's what we've been seeing for the last two years: prices under the the uh, price of production. I was already thinking that half the industry would would uh, finish in this after this season, if uh, things didn't change. If this comes in as another hurdle for growers to get over, that have already in pain and hemorrhaging money, uh, I'd say that it's over.
8: Will they put limits on how many apples can be imported from those particular areas of? USA?
14: No, we can't because that that then puts in quotas and Australia is against quotas. It's against it's against all these things. So there won't be any any limits. Got to remember we're talking about US. We're not talking about any other country in the world. The US goes into every country that it likes at unlimited quota. So back when when there were quotas in Taiwan, we were on 24 damn ton. 24 tonne, didn't even make up full containers. And they felt embarrassed by it. The US always had unlimited.
8: What does it mean for consumers?
14: Well, the consumer will win in their pocket, but they'll lose when there'll be no farmers. There'll be no farmers.
2: Huon Valley apple grower John Evans from southern Tasmania, not South Australia, reacting to the final report from the Australian Department of Agriculture, which recommends... The import of fresh apples from the USA into Australia, subject to strict biosecurity procedures. Uh, I'd be interested to know what you think of that. Deb from Morradale says, "Eat whatever is in season, then you'll be eating fresh every time." And uh, uh, Isla has texted in to say, "Why would I want to buy fruit with all of those travel miles? Local, please." So you can keep texting or calling. Text me zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one, or phone one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Also, on the weather, Mick from Manum says that his departed old man, J.H., used to talk about the latest frost ever in Monash was the 11th of November, and it was disastrous. Uh, He can't recall what year that was, though. So uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility to be this cold, but... Gosh, it's uh, not really what anyone's looking for after such a, a cold and uh, dreary drippy winter, uh, but uh, I guess that's what uh, the different seasons throw up. Finally, today, uh, there are 10 times as many yellow-footed rock wallabies in the Flinders National Park thanks to a program that started 30 years ago. The preservation program called Bounce Back started in 1992 and it's brought the wallabies back from near extinction through targeting feral pests culture rat, ranger and Adnamutna man, Arthur Coulthard, says the wallabies are now a common sight across the reserve.
6: The bounce back program has been going since 1992. The program itself targeting the, the feral animal control, things like the feral goat, foxes and cats, and trying to recover the native species.
5: What are some of these native species you're trying to protect?
6: Native species that usually live in the Flinders Ranges area is the yellow-footed rock wallaby. the people call it the ondu. And then, of course, you've got the quolls and the possums, the vilda and the vilda.
5: So how much has this species been able to recover in this area since the program started 30 years ago?
6: Back when the bounce back program started back in 92, the yellow-footed wallaby, were starting to be
5: extinct
6: through the Flinders Ranges with the help from the South Australian Sporting Shooters Association. DEW started to do baiting programs which uh, helped the recovery of the Yellow of Rock Wallaby.
5: You've been there from the beginning of this program. When did you start working at the park? I started with
6: the National Park back in 1986. 89 is when I become a park ranger. Started up at Brookers Gammon Rangers National Park, a little park called Balkanuna and then Uh, From there, I started um, doing things like cultural heritage, looking after cultural sites, and now I'm a senior ranger. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of changes over the years. Can
5: you tell us about how things were when you began and the things that you've seen really change over time to how they are now?
6: Yeah, there are sorts of things that I've seen over the years. Yes, there was a lot of feral animals back then, a lot of goats. Certainly when the program started back in 92, yeah, we mustered a lot of goats and park rangers did a lot of feral goat shooting back in those days.
5: And that's not so much a problem these days, the feral goats. How were you able to get on top of that? The
6: Flinders Rangers National Park is under a co-managed board. We now got a Mutna mustering group that actually come in and muster the feral goats.
5: What do they do with the feral goats once they've been mustered?
6: They are sent to abattoirs for pet food consumption.
5: There's no waste.
6: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's right. You know, we don't want to waste anything.
5: And what's made you stick with this for as long as you have?
6: I like working for um, Department of Environment. Over the years, I've seen a lot of changes, but every day in the park service is very rewarding for an Aboriginal person like myself.
5: And how does it make you feel seeing a recovery in the numbers of native animals like the yellow-footed rock wallaby?
6: Oh, yeah, the numbers of yellow-footed rock wallabies in the Flinders Ranges National Park today, especially in a place called Bratchina Gorge, you see, you could drive through there and count about 300 different wallabies.
5: Is it a good feeling to see their numbers strong as they are?
6: Yes. It is a very good feeling through Fratchina and Bunyaroo. And even now there's a little place called Oroparinna. There is wallaby starting to be
5: seen down there. Well, it sounds like you've contributed to some fantastic work there over the years. And are you looking forward to continuing with it for some time?
6: Yeah, um, certainly we'd like to continue on with the program. The program has been very rewarding for the Arnhem Mutna people because they're seeing things like the yellow-footed rock wallaby coming back to country, and it's very rewarding to work with other people through the organisation.
2: Arthur Coulthard, a senior cultural ranger, uh, speaking with Nicholas Ward. That's about all from me. But Caroline Winter will follow, continue the conversation <laughs> this afternoon. Good afternoon. That's okay. Hi, Cassie. How are you doing? I'm <laughs> well. Thanks. So I got called cool. all Look sorts the of things. You're you just wearing. never know. We've Hi. only got about ten seconds, but Ka- Caroline is wearing a big puffer coat, and it looks like it has snowflakes on it. <laughs> yes. Some more going up with Caroline Winter this afternoon. Your name suits the weather as we approach <laughs> one o'clock.
13: There are so many ways to keep informed. State heritage listing does provide some important protection. It doesn't prevent any development on the parkland.
5: Leading news and current affairs.
13: ABC Radio, South Australia and Broken Hill.
0: Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.